On this episode of the Last Wire podcast, we'll be talking about the missing cowboy Ben Tyner and the role that amateur radio played in his search effort. Ben Tyner, a Wyoming cowboy last seen riding into the mountains of British Columbia, Canada on January 26, 2019. As a working cowboy, he vanished from the Merritt area, and his abandoned horse was found fully saddled on the Forest Service Road northwest of the city two days later. An extensive search by volunteers and police on foot, horseback, in helicopters, and on snowmobiles found no trace. This region presented some communication challenges that had the potential to delay search efforts. Thanks to local hams, this issue was addressed. We are now joined with Victor Echo 7, Foxtrot Sierra Romeo. Welcome to the show, Miles. Thanks, John. I'm glad to be here. Miles, can you take us back to January and how you got involved in the search effort as an amateur radio operator? Sure. Yeah. In um, January 2019, I got um, uh, received a phone call from one of the emergency managers here at uh, Emergency Management BC in Kamloops. Um, saying that they had a active search and rescue operation ongoing for a missing cowboy and that the search and rescue groups were having a really hard time with communications and could I, you know, could I go out and see what we could do to, you know, to help out. So um, it was just, I, I live in Kamloops, so it was centered in Merritt, which is about, you know, 40, 45 minutes south of Kamloops. Um, I, uh, I jumped in my personal vehicle, which... Uh, if uh, if any of your listeners go to qrz.com and and look up my uh, my page, you'll see my crazy vehicle, which um, I've I've uh, I've set up to be kind of a mobile emergency management BC radio room. So uh, it, it's quite the eyesore from an antenna perspective, but uh, it does allow me everything that I need to do for. Uh, EMBC versus uh, one of the interesting, the government issue vehicles are actually less, uh, you know, less well equipped. So that's typically why I take my own vehicle. But I arrived on scene, which was, um, it was in a fairly mountainous area, just sort of north, I guess it would be pretty much north of Merritt and um, very kind of rugged terrain, very remote in the sense that, you know, there's a few logging roads, but, um, you know, there's, you know, there's no power, there's no people that live up there. Um, and, uh, you know, and this was January, so, you know, lots of snow. Um, and when I arrived um, and found the, the SAR command truck, it was in this little valley with a tiny little clearing. And um, I learned later that they had picked it because it was flat and they, it was basically for access for helicopters. You know, there was a good landing pad, you know, safe landing um, access for helicopters. And and it was also, you know, um, reasonably close for, you know, it was like say a good parking area. It was it was a good place to locate from a ease of perspective for helicopters landing and people parking and, you know, embarking and debarking and stuff like that. But it was an absolutely terrible place from a radio perspective. And, um, what the search and rescue folks had discovered was that, um, you know, they were, they were basically in a, um, it's hard to describe for listeners, but if you imagine if you put three, three mountains in kind of an equal, equilateral triangle, and then you dropped the star truck in the middle, um, that's where it was. And the searchers were all on the slopes on the other sides. Um, that was where the evidence was where, um, you know, they were looking for the cowboy. And so uh, obviously, you know, for your listeners, simplex communications weren't going to work. Um, 
And so one of the questions that you know they they had was, could we use amateur radio communication? Um, but unfortunately, the location of the you know the the local amateur repeaters was such that it wouldn't really work um, either. So, um, and I, I think I mentioned this earlier that you know one of the things I think is a real value for amateur volunteers is their ability to, as good communicators, to kind of understand. Um, you know, how that works, especially for people that aren't, you know, aren't communications people, Um, you know, they're used to their cell phones working all the time, and they're suddenly someplace where they don't work. And so um, one of the things that had been suggested when I was sent out was that someone had said that the SAR groups had um, portable repeaters that could be put up on the top of these, you know, these peaks that were around the SAR truck, and that would allow, um, you know, the SAR command truck to talk, you know, would repeat up to the top of the hill on the search and rescue, you know, temporary portable repeater, and then down to the search people on the other side. The problem with that is it's wintertime and none of those mountaintops had any kind of road access. And so, um, again, being wintertime, solar to keep those repeaters running isn't really a great option because, you know, the day length is really short, the weather's nasty. That would have meant um, flying the portable repeaters, which we had, um, you know, we actually had three of them. Um, you know, we would have had to equip a generator with each one. And so I, I, I sat in the in the SART command truck with the search leader and I, I talked to them and I said, hey, you know, um, yes, I know you guys want to put up these portable repeaters, but here's the reality you know, we've got very short day length. Um, we're going to have to be using the RCMP helicopter because that was, you know, that was there to help search for the missing cowboy. You know, we're going to be using that twice a day to fly to each of these mountaintops to take a volunteer who otherwise would be searching, you know, up to the top of the hill to search, you know, check on the repeater, add fuel to the generator, make sure it was working. Um, you know, and that's going to take, you know, probably i don't i'm not a helicopter pilot but a couple of hours probably to do each you know site twice a day um so you know you figure that's somewhere four to six hours a day that that in daylight maybe that that helicopter is not flying to be looking for the missing person um i thought that wasn't a really wise use of um you know both the communications technology has at disposal but also the search and rescue assets that we had at our disposal and one of the things you know through my networks because i'm a uh you know i'm a i'm a, a nutty ham and communications really excites me i mean i know lots of people in the commercial space and so one of the things i knew was that one of the commercial companies actually had a commercial repeater on a on a nearby mountaintop that was actually higher than all the ones that we were in and um so i uh i reached out to them and said hey uh you know could we use your commercial repeater which was just outside merit on a high elevation site and i told them about the search and everything they said absolutely um the problem we had was of course all the sar people have search and rescue frequencies in their radios um very be, be very problematic to suddenly try and reprogram dozens of radios um but it turns out the company not only had access to the repeater, but also had dozens and dozens of radios pre-programmed and ready to go. So um, I made the recommendation to the uh, the SAR team leader that um, you know we you know we 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 do it this way, and uh, they made the request into Emergency Management BC. Emergency Management BC checked with me, and I said, "Yep, I support this." And uh, you know, a resource request went out and. Within a couple of hours, we had um, enough portable radios. We 
we worked with uh, SAR teams to, you know, educate their, you know, the team members on, you know, the radios were very similar to what they were using already. So uh, it wasn't a big deal. We just basically equipped everyone with radios. We had big banks of chargers um, there for folks. And um, that was basically, we were able to, you know, get effective communications between the people on the ground back to the, um, the SAR truck. There was also a, um, a secondary command post had been sent up at the Merritt airport um, just because that, you know, they ran out of, you know, the number of people, they ran out of space uh, out in the field next to the SAR truck. Um, so that was the first, that was the first piece, John, where we, you know, we basically, the, the urgent need was to get the SAR teams who are out in the field, you know, both for safety so that, um, you know, they didn't want somebody getting lost, but also to be able to, you know, to, to make that communication between the SAR teams and the SAR, you know, command truck, um, and then the second piece was the SAR truck was command center truck was having a hard time um, getting communication back and forth to emergency management BC. So the the second piece I did, um, similar to the other story that I shared with you in 2017, is um, I used our uh, our LTE um, uh, you know go kit as we talked about. So EMBC now has uh, LTE go kits. Um, I brought one of those out. Uh, set up the tripod, the mast, um, and then was able to provide the SAR truck with uh, high-speed data communication. So they were able to make telephone calls and and uh, had internet access and stuff so they could get back to the um, the Provincial Regional Emergency Operations Center. So so that was my my role in, in 2019 with the, the Cowboy. Again, it, 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 in a sense, it wasn't, um, you know, pure ham radio in a sense, but um, you know, I was using all my skills as a, as an amateur um, to be able to provide that, um, you know, that recommendation to the decision makers on on what to do. And one of the things, you know, um, I'm very I'm very proud about that because we were able to keep that helicopter flying, looking for the fellow, and not you know having it scooting back and forth, you know, providing you know fuel to generators. So I I think for me that was one of the big takeaways from that example is, um, you know, as a as an effective communicator and and able to you know um, you know take that information, synthesize it, and then pass it back to the decision makers. You know, we were able to you know collectively make very good use of. The resources available and keep those focused on looking for the fellow. Being a ham operator is more than just passing messages back and forth, setting up critical communication infrastructure. It's being that critical thinker and I think this story really reflects that. They want your expertise on this mountain, not just your equipment. What are some lessons you learned and how did you think out of the box as a ham operator? Yeah, and I think, you know, like th that to me, I think is um, a key that I've learned is, you know, as a ham volunteer for an emergency organization, um, you know, you'll often get the call that says, hey, I need you to go and do this. And I think the the thing I always tell the people that work with me is, you know, like, you know, your answer is yes, I'll be right there. But, you know, the, the you know, the first thing you want to do when you get to wherever you're tasked is is, you know, look around, ask questions, figure out what's going on. Don't just go on, you know, like I say, you know, it was kind of like for me, it was like, hey, we need you to go out and, you know, set up these portable repeaters because the SAR guys have them. 
And I could have done that. I could have just gone out and said, oh, okay, let's, you know, I love to fly in a helicopter. It's fun. Um, you know, take me to the top of the mountain. We'll set up this portable repeater, fire up the generator. But, um, you know, I think as a communicator, you know, I looked at the whole situation and said, um, you know, okay, what, what do we need to do here? What are the potential resources we had? And I looked at everything from, you know, what we had as hams, you know, so the local radio clubs, what repeaters do we have? You know, what frequencies are they on? Where are they located? Um, you know, uh, like, and I'm sure some of your listeners are familiar with some of the tools now online that um, amateur clubs use to plot, you know, their repeaters. And um, I'm thinking of things, tools like Radio Mobile, where people will go in and say, okay, well, we're going to put a, you know, radio on ABC Hill and it's going to be on 14732 and it's going to be 50 watts and it's going to use a 5 dB gain antenna. And what's our coverage pattern going to look like? You know, who's going to be able to use the repeater? Well, as amateurs working for public service organizations, we, you know, we can use those same tools. So, um, you know, if you have time, for example, you can say, oh, hey, well, if you were going to put up a portable repeater here, would it work for what you need to do? Um, that's the kind of stuff that I think is hams where you have that, that knowledge as a communicator and, and all your smarts to be able to say, uh, okay, will this work? Or, or for example, like we often see here in British Columbia because of our our mountainous terrain that, you know, HF communication using NVIS antennas can be extremely effective, um, you know, at all times of the day over distances that, you know, VHF repeaters don't work. So we have, you know, we have HF in our go kits, right? So we can set up NVIS antennas and um, sure it's not, you know, it's maybe using WinLink, which is, um, you know, smaller email messages or voice communication. But again, it's, that ability as a ham to say, okay, what's in my toolkit? What's my problem? How do I best solve it? And then take that, you know, take that information back to the, you know, the the emergency management decision makers and say, okay, this is what this is what I recommend. This is going to be most effective for the problem that you have right here. What's some advice you can offer new hams or people that are thinking about getting into amateur radio from an emergency communication perspective? Where do they start? What do you think they need to focus on? For hams that are looking to get involved or volunteer with um, emergency organizations, you know, take take as much training as you can. Most, you know, most I'm sure most local governments, um, certainly most provincial governments, you know, they have um, training programs like here in BC. We, um, you know, we have a very well developed program, and so get yourself familiar with how emergency operations centers work. You know, how the decision making process works. Um, participate in exercises because you're, you're going to find yourself in, and, and again, like I might, you know, when, for the listeners, it might've seemed, oh, you know, Miles was very calm about describing what was going on with the search for the cowboy. But I can tell you that that was actually all happening in kind of a information vacuum in a panic. Um, you know, it would have been very easy for me to just, you know, as you said earlier, you know, to just grab that portable repeater and jump in the helicopter and fly to the top of the hill. And, and so I think, you know, it, it's, um, it's really good for hams that want to get involved is, you know, get some practice so that when you do get thrown into those situations, um, you can kind of keep your wits about you and, and, you know, think through stuff and make those, you know, make that analysis and that critical decision to make those recommendations. Cause that's, that's your super value for emergency organizations, right? Is to be able to, you know, help them be effective, right? Um, you know, that, like, as I said, you know, if you know that 
you're not going to, you know, sending out somebody with a VHF radio isn't going to work, that you really need to take a deployable HF kit because that, you know, given your area, you know, and, and this is what I tell amateurs here in BC, you know, I say to people, you know, practice with Winlink every, you know, throughout the day, in the evenings, different times of year, so that you know that, you know, you know, maybe 40 meters only works certain times of the day at certain times of the year. So, you know, because what happens again is, I think as humans, we get into a rut. And so, for example, in BC here, with emergency management, we see all of our volunteers, Wednesday night is our, you know, our practice night, right, where we all, you know, barring barring COVID, we would get together, you know, in the radio room, we do a bunch of practice and stuff. It's always on Wednesday night, right? So what I found is some of our volunteers, um, you know, they're always like, oh, yes, you know, 80 meters works great all the time um, because they're only in a Wednesday night. Um, but then they try and use it during the day on a Friday when they get called out and they're like, well, it's not working. Why is that? Um, so, yeah, so I'm always reminding people to, uh, you know, they don't, you know, EMBC doesn't mind, you know, you can come as a volunteer, you can come down at the radio room anytime they're open. So, you know, come in and practice at different times so that you're, um, you know, so that you basically as an a amateur radio volunteer, you have this broad experience and knowledge set to draw on so that when you're asked to provide those recommendations, you can be really effective. No, I agree 100%. Uh, before we wrap up, uh, what was the final outcome for the search? Uh, unfortunately, he was not found um, and has not been found to date. Um, the latest information I have is that they suspect it was foul play, but I understand it's still an, an active investigation. So it's, it's, uh, it's really unfortunate, John. But I will say um, it was a tremendous effort by everyone involved. And, um, you know, a huge number of SAR teams came out and, um, RCMP and everyone. So yeah, huge, huge effort was made. Uh, it's unfortunate it didn't have a positive outcome. That's very unfortunate, but I really appreciate you coming on the show and I hope to have you on again one more time. Have a great day. Yeah, thank you. And, and uh, you know, feel, feel free to share with your listeners if they want my contact information. I'm always happy to, um, you know, chat about my experiences because I, I really do believe that uh, amateur radio operators have a lot to offer to our, our public service agencies. You've been listening to Victor Echo 7, Foxtrot Sierra Romeo. Miles, thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate you taking the time to share with us your experience with ham radio and emergency communications. To our listeners, I'm your host, John Bignall, and this is another episode of The Last Wire Podcast.